Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Velbeer Show. I am your host, Jared Veldier. Today is episode 11, and I got a good friend of mine, Preston Taney from Renhouse Brewing. Renhouse is, you know, up there with some of the best beer in the world. You know, they just won a gold medal at Great American Beer Fest a couple years ago for the American IPA category, an extremely hard category to win. It was for their Spellbinder IPA, which, um, you know, I had the pleasure of being able to drink a lot of that when I lived in Arizona. So it was awesome seeing that win. And, uh, you know, they're just cranking out a ton of good beer. Uh, you know, Preston and I talk everything from their new production warehouse in, in Prescott, Arizona, to his love of lager brewing and how that reflects in what Ren House is doing. Uh, so just a really good show. And like I said, Preston's a, a good friend of mine. It's a great conversation. He's a great guy doing awesome stuff over at Ren House. And just another little fun note on the happenings of beer, not really craft beer, but Budweiser has asserted themselves into the NFT arena. Uh, They are going to be selling a bunch of non-fungible tokens, which are like the hottest thing right now, Uh, digital assets um, that, you know, you can kind of hold as a collecting item. And they say it's the key to unlocking uh, your spot in the Budverse. So another metaverse play, not sure what you're going to be able to do with beer in the metaverse outside marketing. You can't really drink it. It's more of a real life thing, but Budweiser is officially the first person or not first person but first company you know in the beverage industry to go full steam ahead into the metaverse so who will be the first craft brewery to go into the metaverse maybe buy up some land in sandbox or decentraland and put a virtual brewery there where you can go in there and and check it out so maybe you can uh you know go see a replica of what their normal brewery their brick and mortar place looks like and you know see what's on tap that kind of stuff i don't know i i've never spent much time in a metaverse i don't have my oculus headset sorry mark zuckerberg but you know what I do know is I got a great talk with Preston and it's coming up right now. You guys enjoy it. One, two, one, two, three, go! Hey, 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 fill it up, fill it up, hey, 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 fill it up, fill it up, hey, hey, The co-founder of Rent House, they're out of Phoenix, Arizona, place I know very well. And Preston is making some world-class beer at Rent House. I, I miss being down, or I guess up the street from him, being able to shoot down and, and grab a beer at their uh, at their tap room. It's a cool place if you're ever uh, in the area. You got to make sure to check him out. And then he's also got a place now in uh, in Prescott, right? That yeah. yes. You guys have a, a bigger production facility that you recently opened up there. But uh, anyway, Preston, thanks for coming on the show, man. Glad to have you. Yeah, good to see you again, Jared. And, and thanks for having me on. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'm excited too. I was actually reflecting back to uh, kind of when we met each other, when we were doing that collaboration brew with, uh, it was myself, you guys at Rent House and Wandering Tortoise. And we did that beer called Nest Egg. Yeah. That thing, that, <laughs> that thing was tasty, man. I'm, I'm trying to think back to the hot. I know we had like, I know there was some Cascade in there, but it still, it, it had almost like a, a nice, like classic West Coast IPA hop profile vibe that was, you know, kind of in at the moment that we brewed that. But it, yeah, it sounds good. I could I could reach for a glass of that right now. It was a good beer. Totally. Yeah. As I remember that 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 was kind of the goal of it too. Is kind of a hybrid between the new kind of you know juicy, hazy, but still have the roots of kind of the old school, uh, more traditional hops like Cascade. So I think it was Cascade and Amarillo. I want to say, but it definitely had that profile of kind of old meets new, which was really cool. Yeah, it was sweet. I mean, there was some definitely some OG hops in there, but it was still it didn't feel like it was antiquated beer. It was it was a great beer. It felt it felt very current and uh, it was tasty. It was fun. Yeah, I miss it. That was great. Come down there and brew that beer again. It's cool. Labor too. <laughs> Wish I had a can of it. What have you guys been up to recently? Well, yeah, like you said, we opened uh, 
we took over a production brewery in Prescott, which is uh, about an hour and a half north of us. And so half the team went up there and we brought on some new people. So that's a 30 barrel brew house. So we're, we're kind of cranking out our cores and then some of our seasonals and our lagers out of there. And our Phoenix location is a mix of some of our cores and, and a lot of one-off and barrel-aged beer and stuff like that. So we, we've kind of got this cool dynamic where we're using both locations to fill our portfolio and then use both brew houses to experiment. All right, sweet. And I, did you guys have plans for the production spot before you won gold at GABF for Spellbinder? Yeah, we, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, we were in contract uh, on the property, I think, when we won which was, uh, it's always nice because anytime you expand, no matter how big the expansion is, um, it's always a leap of faith and, and little things like that kind of nudge you in the right direction and make you know you're not as crazy as maybe you seem. So, you know, one day and one award kind of kept us motivated during a, a huge expansion that otherwise would have been kind of daunting. So, yeah, I mean, that's a hell of an accomplishment to, you know, win gold at, you know, the biggest beer festival in the world, especially for the hottest category, which was, you know, hazy IPA. And uh, I've had Spellbinder. It's a phenomenal beer. So I think you guys definitely deserving of that gold medal. What's it like, you know, having to open up a, a production facility and then all of a sudden find a bunch of staff right off the get go to, to take positions there? Especially in yeah. Prescott, like Prescott's yeah. not like anybody that's not familiar with Prescott, Arizona. It's not, it's, it's pretty small town. It's a really cool town, but uh, it, it's not massive. And I couldn't even break down like the demographic and the, you know, median household income, that kind of stuff. So I, I got to imagine like having a big facility up there has to present some kind of challenges with, with finding people to, to run it. Yeah, it's, I think, you know, we, we've been fortunate because we, we have a great team up there, but to build it, yeah, it was definitely difficult. Fortunately, my lead, my number two in Phoenix, used the opportunity and he's running the day-to-day. -day, so he's the head brewer there now, Luke, um, and he's doing a really great job. And so he moved up there. Uh, he actually lives in Jerome, but he, he lives up there much closer. And so that, that was the first puzzle piece that you know, we had to figure out and he was excited to move. So it made that part easy. And then we were able to bring on a couple of people from Phoenix who wanted to move up there. But um, I was going to say, it can't be that hard of a sell. I mean, Prescott's beautiful. Like, it's yeah, it's beautiful. But the commute, obviously, 90 minutes each way on a good day is is tough yeah. for anyone. So at the beginning, it was Luke and the other guy, Mason, who is now a brewer there as well. Uh, it was pretty much the two of them and me. And then we brought on some some help since then, mostly on the packaging and seller side. They've been local people who've been really great. So we were able to, because we were all committed, kind of take our time finding the right people. So we were working a lot at the beginning of the year, but by the time we found them, we knew we found the right people, including we waited months for a guy from uh, Virginia named Matt, um, who's just a, a great packaging guy and operations guy. And so uh, we really wanted him, so we waited it out. And now he, like me, we both uh, drive up there. So he was willing to make that commitment. And, and right now we're staffed perfectly and we've got a great team. And it's a mix between Prescott and Phoenix people who work there. That's sweet. I, that has to be one of the, like the, you know, hardest challenges, you know, when you're growing and, you know, there's, there's expansion and you, you can't have, you can't have a weak link join the team just because you're trying to fill a spot. Like, you, right. you know, you, you got to keep building the good team to keep making the good beer or else the product's going to suffer. So to me, it always, you know, kind of sticks out as something that's interesting when, you know, you're in that growth phase and you have to find good people. What do you guys like? So talking about the guy from Virginia, 
what made his role one that you guys really wanted to wait out and make sure you got him? Well, it came with a canning line and it's a little bit of an older model cask and it kind of is this, you know, they're not as user friendly as some of the ones out now. And, and he had operated that line before. And until he came out, I was the guy running it every day and it was just killing me. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd put in four times as many hours as it needed to run, just fixing it and trying to keep the numbers right. And so I knew that he was on paper made for that line in that position. And then talking to him on the phone and getting to know him a little bit, he just felt like dynamically he would work. Uh, just a, a good guy. Um, he was about to get married and his, his uh, wife got a job in Phoenix. So they were coming out here anyways. You know, at the end of the day, if someone's smart and a hard worker, they can pretty much fill any position. Now, how long it takes to train them, that's one thing. And he was both those things and he was already trained. So he came and what was supposed to be an introduction day, he just started working on the canning line, had it running. So, you know, he, he ended up being a perfect fit for that. And then, and similarly, Luke on the production side, they just, they were both, you know, smart guys, hard workers, and they had the skill set. So they were able to, to run with it. And then, you know, the important part is that they fit with the team well, and they both, you know, do. So that's just, it's all you can ask for, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Well, especially when like, you know, you're using that as a production facility, I imagine that's very important to have you yeah. know, a quality behind that canning line, especially when you're canning, you know, some hoppy beers and making sure you're keeping the oxygen low on all of them and, and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, he's checking cans the entire run and we're using our, our meters and everything. And, and we're really proud of the product we're putting out of there, which is, you know, it was daunting when we first saw that canning line run. We didn't know that we'd hit those numbers. Um, and, and now we are. And We've never put a beer out that didn't hit our numbers, but we were, our efficiency was horrible because so many beers weren't seeming right or the oxygen pickup was too high. And and so we were just getting horrible efficiency. And that was a big step this year was getting that dialed in. So we're above 95% about for package efficiency. That's sweet. Is that the, uh, is that the goal or is it, you know, to hit that, you know, just keep on tweaking it until you can get as yeah. high as you can go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're always happy to get higher, but we keep going higher and higher. So on this canning line, we're really happy in the 90 and 95% range for sure. Sweet. I got, I got a question brewing with you guys at the Phoenix location. I really liked how you named your tanks. Yeah. They, were, they were named, uh, they're all uh, country western OGs. Uh, yeah. What did you have? You had Willie, Waylon. Yeah, we got Merle and, Merle and Johnny and Dolly and Hank. Yeah. So did you guys, did you did you go with that same theme up at the uh, the Prescott spot or the Prescott spot? <laughs> yeah, you know, at the beginning, you know, I got the decal letters to start naming them and we were going back and forth. And honestly, it was really important at the time, but... I haven't even thought about it since that none of the tanks are named still. Oh, uh, come I, on, I think we just man. haven't gotten around to it, but we'll do that this week for you. Yeah, please. And then you send me a picture. I, I, I need to see. Yeah. I need to make sure that these tanks are, you know, being treated right. You know, they, yeah. they deserve a name. They're not a nameless face. You know, they're, they're helping you guys put out some world-class beer. So it's an important I thing. So, I, so can you help me out with the whole Prescott, Prescott thing? Like every time when I moved there and saw it on the map, I wanted to say Prescott, but everybody calls it Prescott. Yeah, I'm trying to think, what do I say? Prescott. Yeah, everyone says Prescott. I, you know what? My, my family, I have family from there, and, and some of them say Prescott. So I think you're good. Okay. No so matter what you say. Yeah, because it's like you look at the spelling of it, it looks like Prescott, and it's not spelled like biscuit. 
There's no <laughs> UIT there's, or even a U. So a little bone to pick with the town of Prescott. But no, Prescott's sweet, man. Great spot. Great spot to have a beer. Do you guys kind of try to incorporate any of the cool uh, outdoors elements up there with your spot? Yeah, so right now it's in Prescott officially, but it's it's more Prescott Valley as far as if you were to drive in there. So there's an airport up there, small airport, and, and we're in that complex. So we've got a huge lot next to Superstition Meteries production space. And so it's really beautiful views and all that, but it's more of a destination spot. So right now, the way we operate is Friday, Saturday, we, we open it up for people to come try our beer. And uh, we definitely want to, you know, include more of that experience as we grow there. And we're just trying to find out what that is. So right now it's all outdoor seating. Um, and then the winter's about to hit. So we're, we got to see what happens with that. And so we're kind of playing it by ear. Right now we're using it kind of as a uh, an outreach because we love Prescott and, and the people up there and the community. So we're using it more, you know, we're, we're never busy like we are in Phoenix, you know, might have, you know, six tables full or something, but it's more just to get to know people, let them know we're there. And then, you know, there's a whole part of Arizona that's never tried our beer. So getting those people to get to know us and know our beers is kind of why we operate in that capacity. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good goal for sure. Outside of opening up, you know, this this second facility, this production facility, where are you guys trying to take, you know, the Renhouse, you know, brand right now or the beer, you know, not necessarily the brand, but where are you guys looking to, you know, kind of, you know, capitalize on here within, you know, the next five years at Renhouse? Yeah, the, it's a great question that we kind of juggle week to week and we have different goals and then we come up with a new goal. And at the end of the day, one we love distributing our beer and getting it out all across the state. And, and we work with a great distributor now. You know, our heart and soul and kind of the industry in general is about, you know, kind of the, the taproom vibe and, and having people come in and getting to know them. And, you know, most of our, our guests are regulars and they all know our bartenders and, you know, sometimes they'll go to each other's weddings and stuff. I mean, it really is a family. So as we grow, we'd like to continue to incorporate that. So, you know, probably next goal would be open another tap room just to kind of, you know, introduce Renhouse to a new part of Phoenix or a new part of Maricopa County and just continue to get to know people and have them get to know our beer and, and continue to kind of organically grow that relationship that that we've been fortunate to have in central phoenix yeah i think that's such an important part of craft beer is that social side the community side i mean beers you know i could pour a glass of beer you know sitting here at my desk drink it enjoy it but you know you get in the right setting with with some friends or you know even meeting some new people and you know spending a friday night saturday afternoon uh it's great and it's it's been great you know the last 10 years my life has changed a lot from you know being a, a young player in the nfl to now being retired with you know two young kids yeah. and that, that that craft beer enjoyment still the same though but now it's you know it's nice when you can take your kids you know to a craft brewery and you know they have a, you know, some place where they can run around and you know you can have a beer watch them hang out with your buddies listen to you know some live music or you know play a board game just that kind of stuff like there's such a social side to it and yeah. uh, and and that's part of it that i enjoy so much and it's really authentic like there's not a lot of bull crap around it yeah uh, you know, it just seems like you, you know you're sharing that glass and the real use there not some fake version of yourself right yeah 100 percent. yeah i mean that's kind of the ethos that build the craft built the craft beer movement and um, it's important to kind of stick with that because those are the people that are buying our beer and spreading the word and like you said bringing their families on weekends and, and all that so that's the part we love so definitely 
our limit right now is the, the size of our tap room in Phoenix. So to grow tap room space would be our next goal for sure. Nice. What are you guys focusing on right now? You know, beer wise, you know, I, I know you've done a really good job, not only with the IPAs, but you got a passion for, for lager brewing. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and you guys make some good sours and all that stuff. You guys are really well-rounded. You barrel aged beers are good. You know, what are you guys focusing on right now uh, on the brew side? Yeah. The um, Phoenix, we've got sours and barrel age coming out. We brewed a sour today and um, what's in it. We don't know yet. We just did the base okay, and then okay. we're going to, we're going to play for it. It gets uh, boiled tomorrow. So it's a, a kettle sour. We, we've got some ideas and we might even split it up and do a couple, but it's a really nice big base. And then uh, yeah, a lot of barrel age beer coming out of Phoenix specifically end of this year, starting next year, we've doubled our production of barrel age beer, but you know, at the end of the day, our, you know, if you were at any point to pull our team, whether they're front of house or back of house, the, the three favorite beers have always been Spellbinder and then our two lagers, Valley Beer and Big Spill. And since going into production, it was interesting to see those three sell so much better than anything else we make still. Um, I think part of that is all three of them for different reasons are really good uh, restaurant and bar beers so like you know the the valley beer of course is kind of like a coors banquet substitute and that's always good to drink a pitcher of and then big spill pills is our you know dry hopped uh, german inspired pilsner and, and that's my favorite one to to drink uh, when i'm out and so those two lagers have been really good for us so we're brewing a lot of those too and then spellbinder obviously has just become a beast in the last year rightfully so what are you guys dry hopping big spill with right now so we, we used to switch it up and then we kind of found a sweet spot with all Nelson. And then in the last few months, Prescott's been kind of toying with the idea of splitting that. So it's a little bit of Citra and it's still mostly Nelson that we get from uh, uh, New Zealand. And is that like a pretty low rate? Just, you know, because dry, yeah, hop, I mean, dry hopping a Pilsner, it's, it's, you know, it, it's not done a whole, whole lot. Uh, yeah. So do you try to be pretty careful with it? Yeah, we definitely want the, the hops to complement more than take over because we really like the grain bill and the lagering process. We don't want to cover that. That's one of the reasons we like Nelson is because it's kind of a more subtle hop when used in that capacity, throwing off kind of some white wine flavors and some delicate flavors. But, um, you know, the Citra adds a little bit of brightness that otherwise was lacking from the Nelson. So, but yeah, it's definitely really low compared to an IPA or something. It's really just to introduce those aromas and initial flavor profile that we're looking for. What's more fun, you know, brewing an IPA like Spellbinder or doing the Wally series where you're just cranking out some massive triple IPAs? <laughs> those are a nightmare. Um, <laughs> talk about efficiency. Yeah, we, we don't get, you know, we'll get about... We average like 55% from knockout to, to packaged on those. So they're, they're stressful for me you know, when I'm running numbers <laughs> tasty, on them. But they're tasty for me. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're definitely delicious. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised if we made a nickel on those after three years. But we love them and they're a cool way to express, you know, what we think a triple IPA can taste like. We try and keep, you know, the alcohol perception low, but still be high, kind of that sweet spot. And then just destroy it with dry hops i mean some of the quantities we're hitting are pretty crazy on that we we really try and saturate it with all that great flavor and and we've been really happy with them some of them are amongst our our favorite beers we've made which is strange for you know a hazy triple ipa but we like making like, them yeah well i feel like the you know 
throwing the hazy caveat into the triple IPA goes really well. Uh, yeah. It just accentuates the, you know, an already really hop forward fruity beer to make it even fruitier. And the, you know, having that pillowy kind of mouthfeel kind of mutes some of the, you know, harshness that can creep out when you're throwing that many, you know, hops at a beer. Uh-huh. Yeah, completely. What do you guys, I can't remember. What are the hops you guys put in Spellbinder? So it's Citra and Mosaic are the dry hops. And then we use some Cascade uh, along with Citra and Mosaic in the boil. And this year we uh, were able to select all three of those lots. So we went out to Yakima and um, did some rubbings and were able to pick those hops, not just high quality hops, but hops that we thought reflected the Spellbinder brand and flavor profile we were looking for. So when those come off the line, What's that profile that you're looking for? You know, the mosaic, we're kind of looking for kind of a melon berry kind of that kind of softer. And then with citra, we're looking for big citrus, a lot of tangerine and, and grapefruit and stuff like that. But it, it gets a little more specific when, when you're doing the rubbing, because the way the two complement each other, we have something we're looking for as well. And then for cascade, we really wanted just a traditional cascade profile. You know, Citra Mosaic Cascade, there's a lot of brewers that are, you know, using those hops, especially Citra yeah. Mosaic in, in their beers. How do you guys take those hops and then create a gold medal beer out of it? Well, I'm sure a lot of that was luck of the draw as far as the gold medal goes. I'm sure every or beer just, in that You know, just to have table. a successful beer like that. I mean, you're, yeah, I, I, I love your, I love the humility. It's, it's good to have humility, but you guys are, <laughs> you guys are brewing up a really good beer, man. And you're recognized for it. You know, how, what kind of, what kind of practices are, you know, do you feel like maybe you do a little bit differently than, you know, some of your brewer friends or other breweries out there? Yeah, I think everyone kind of is doing it similar and then it's just little adjustments that can make a difference and you know we're brewing spellbinder oh man we're, we're probably up to four to five 60 barrel batches a month now and we don't just brew it and then start the next one we brew it we do tests on it we see you know what does the haze look like what does the hot profile look like and and the press team's really good at that and making small changes. So Spellbinder batch one, you know, years ago to Spellbinder now on paper is pretty much completely different. The process, the ingredients, stuff like that. But it wasn't, you know, four big jumps. It was hundreds of little jumps. So pretty much it's, if there's something we like, we kind of try and dial that in. And if it's something that we think could be better, we, we try and find what caused that. And so we pull up our old batches and make little tweaks. And I think that, that mindset with each batch just improves it. And so some of the jumps, you know, can make big improvements, but now we're really just in the fine tuning process. And after that's making sure every batch is brewed and comes out the same. And do you guys ever play or do you, do you ever switch up the yeast on that or do you try to, you know, use the, the same yeast and it's just different adjustments? We, it's been a long time since we tried a different yeast and we tend to sometimes I'll, you know, I'll push to change it because I'll try another beer that I like and I want to see what Spellbinder will taste like with that yeast. Historically, we've always gone back. So it's, you know, maybe one or two batches. It's always been the same. Um, what, what kind of what kind of variety is it? Well, it's like a Conan strain. Okay. Um, but, you know, I think you could hit a lot of the same notes with, with either of the two big, you know, strains. And that's something we've been working on a lot the last couple of weeks is, is trying to find you know, not only the Conan, but then, you know, different uh, yeast propagators claim different additional benefits from, from how they uh, are selecting theirs. And, and um, you know, maybe that's the next step is to find uh, the 
similar strains, which one we like the most. But historically, we've been happy with where we get it and um, what we're looking for out of that yeast we've been able to get. So it's more fermentation time, schedule, temperatures, pressures, and and how we treat the hops and when we add them and stuff that we see the most change. Yeah, the, the average beer drinker probably has no idea, you know, how much all the hands-on variables of the cold side fermentation has on the final product. Yeah. Like, you know, you could take the same hops, same yeast, even the same water profile, same brew, you know, have the hot side mechanics all the same, but ferment, you know, at different temperatures, have different hop schedules, even, you know, different yeast, especially different yeast, but just there's yeah. so many variables. It's like why, uh, you know, you can post your recipe and say, you know, Good luck. Good luck, you know, having it turn out exactly how yeah. it did for me and feel fine about it. like, hey, yeah, here it is. Here's a recipe brewed up. And, you know, that's one of the fun things as a home brewer. You're just trying to, like, do some clone recipes. And, you know, usually it turns out good, but it's never quite the same beer. And it's, no. uh, it's, it's hard. It's like a fingerprint. You know, everyone has a little bit of a different finger. Yeah, everyone definitely has a different fingerprint, but most, yeah. most beers have a unique fingerprint. And uh, it's almost like breweries start to develop a fingerprint over time where, you know, you can tell that that beer comes from that brewery. Yeah. I mean, to that point, you know, Coors is, is base malt and corn syrup. But that doesn't mean that it's easy to do. And, and you know, so to make a, a consistent beer and to, to have that, that fingerprint you're talking about, you know, that, that takes a long time. Um, we were fortunate that we found the brew house in Phoenix, which is a 10 barrel direct fire and the Prescott one, which is a 30 barrel steam. We were able to really match the profile. So we changed some things, but kind of keep that, you know, that recognizable Renhouse taste. And we thought it'd be harder than it was, but we, we spent a long time between purchasing the property and opening it, making sure that we'd thought of everything and really happy with it. Do you ever feel like it's like that scene from a beautiful mind where like, uh, that's gross. <laughs> he's got, he's got the board where he's doing all the equations and everything. And he's just, you know, trying to put it all together. What's another one? I think maybe like, yeah, I mean, I, it's so much so that I don't, I'm not good at computer. So most of my stuff is written on boards to the chagrin of, of my partners and, and some of the brew team. So yeah, it can, uh, it's a madness that you kind of create your own language that, uh, as a team you learn to speak, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we're happy with where we are right now and excited for next year. That's sweet. What do you think is something that's going on right now in the craft beer space, you know, that you think uh, is kind of a myth or a, a lie or just something that goes around? You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, something that brewers are doing, but just kind of a dogma that you don't agree with in craft beer. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't have a great answer for that. On the flip side, I would say that, you know, there was a it's, it's exciting to see the education of, of both brewers and consumers with things that five years ago would have been made fun of, like, you know, traditional English ales or lagers and stuff like that. You know, when, when we did our first batch of Valley Beer, it took months and months to sell through. And now we're, we're doing over 100 barrels a month of it. So that growth, you know, it, it used to have a stigma against it. Lagers, just English porters, English pub ales, stuff like that as you know, your father's beer or whatever. And then, you know, I think both brewers and consumers are starting to see the value and why, you know, they've, they've endured for hundreds of years. It's, is that they really are these really special beers. And um, so to see that growth on both sides of it's been really cool because that's what we like to drink and brew. And I know that's true with a lot of brewers to, you know, not be stuck as just an IPA brewery or 
sour brewery to be able to demonstrate your your breadth of knowledge is really exciting especially you know that way you don't go crazy brewing the same three oh, beers over exactly. and over again <laughs> right yeah you don't want to be that like rock band on tour and there's you know <laughs> play the hits yeah exactly you just kill you're just dying a slow death inside <laughs> like, uh, i can only imagine how agonizing that is yeah so let's i want to talk about lagers for a quick minute here because i know you you really you know i can i can tell just from talking and you know drinking your beers you get you get fired up with the lagers like what, yeah. what attracts you to the lager uh as much as as it does yeah, I mean, the first beer officially Runhouse ever brewed was a lager just because they take longer to make. And so while we were dialing in the system, that was our pilot, uh, Senior Gallo. It wasn't the first one we released, but Hot Side. And my reasoning was, so like, you know, I've been a brewer for a long time and I would go hang out with my friends and they're not really in the beer scene. And I'd bring them some IPAs and they would stick with Coors Light or Pabst or whatever. And they just were uninterested. So if, if you know, part of the or, you know, especially 10 years ago, it was this kind of divisive part. But, you know, I, I ended up drinking a lot of lagers. You know, if you're on a fishing trip, you're not drinking a bunch of IPAs or barrel-aged no beers. Yeah. And there weren't a lot of options. And part of that is, you know, for the same reason, big breweries have trouble doing, you know, big, juicy, hazy IPAs because of the scale. It's really hard to make lagers on a small scale just because, you know, so we do six weeks on, on Valley Beer, and we do two weeks on Spellbinder, so we could have turned that tank three times. We're certainly not making three times as much as, as Spellbinder per six-pack, so there was that huge hurdle to overcome. But once you kind of budget for it, and you're not taking up space, you're adding it, people were able to experiment and make really cool lagers on a small scale, you know, starting whatever, five years ago. In breweries like Wayfinder and, and Beerstadt, in these places that only make loggers or primarily make loggers um they help and show that america can still make really great craft loggers and it wasn't you know pbr or natty light as your lager option there's really flavorful european styles and then whole new american styles and, and a lot to do with it and still be a really drinkable refreshing beer yes yeah, so and so what you know, what's the you know the flavor profile of like the perfect pilsner like just take the listener through through that. I recently had the perfect Pilsner uh, <laughs> at Freem up in Oregon, and it was just so delightful. But, you know, you want a little bit of that, like the, the notes from the grain, you want it to be really soft and bright um, and just really a healthy, beautiful grain profile. But complemented with, you know, your, your noble hops, your traditional European hops, it's got that nice floral bouquet that, that you expect to see out of that. And, you know, I just... I could drink gallons of, of, you know, slow pour or Freem Pilsner, any of these Pilsners that really, you know, have dialed in a perfect recipe. And, and to be able to see that on that scale is just really cool. And it's something that we strive to do is, is to be amongst them with our loggers. Yeah, it's almost like, and I got nothing again. I love, I love hazies, I love IPAs. That's like my go-to. And but it's, it's almost like in the beer world, it's almost like the pop hits. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's easy to put your finger on what makes them good. Yeah, uh, you get into lagers, and there's a lot of nuance and delicacy, and it's almost like going to an art gallery. Like it's, you're not yeah. quite sure. 
what it is about it, but it has it has what you're looking for. And, uh, you know, it's just it's delicate. It's nice, refreshing, but there's something behind it. That's why I wanted you to try to put it into yeah. articulate terms, because it's 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 tough. You know, it's not like a big punchy in your face, tropical fruit. Uh, yeah. you know, knock, knock your socks off. Like, oh, I can't believe this doesn't have juice in it type of beer. It's, uh, right. you know, it's classical, it's refined. It's so easy to get romantic about lagers. Totally. And then to that point with a lot of those really refined lagers, really nice lagers, it's, it's easier to tell what you don't like about them sometimes than what you do. And so, you know, what makes beer shot slow pour one of the best pilsners in the world. It's, it's almost undefinable. It's, it's just it's perfect when you get the glass and, and a lot of that is that uh cold side cellar the lagering process how dedicated they are to being exactly the same and and every degree change is, is for a reason for yeast health or clarity or flavor and and in just you know hundreds of years of of practice to get these breweries to where they are today and it's just really exciting to see you know how many breweries us included have been able to run with that in their own you know, in the, in their own way. Do you think it's part of that, like challenge of brewing the, you know, perfect lager is kind of what draws brewers towards it. That, that, yeah, cha- I mean, that, that challenge. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, I mean, that's, that's our goal is, you know, like I said, we're, we're always changing it. And even Valley beer, which is, you know, it's, it's Pilsner malt and corn. I mean, that's all that's in there. Even that we've changed twice in the last three weeks, just little changes. And um, the chasm between the best and really good is, is huge. And so, you know, we'll, we'll continue however long it takes to, to, to get there, both with our loggers, but IPAs, barrel age, you know, yeah. we, we really want to get there. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it's, it's, part of, it's part of the journey, man. It's why you're doing it, right? Yeah. So it's your final night on earth. You got one beer. It's the desert island question, except I pose it as the apocalypse question. There's no tomorrow. You can have one beer that night. It could be as many of that beer as possible. Just one type of beer. Can't be Ren House beer. What are you drinking? You're going to have no hangover oh, the next day, mind you, because the world is, is, is gone. Yeah, <laughs> man. I, you know, that that frame Pilsner I had a couple weeks ago was revolutionary so that's on the the front of my mind but man that's a great question yeah i mean i'd I'd probably go with a pilsner and 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 just because it has a romantic place in my heart i'd go slow pour pills from Bierstadt. you know i've made trips to denver just to go there for a couple days and and come back with my wife and so you know it it is one of the perfect american beers so i'd go slow pour pilsner that's a, that's a good choice. I love that beer because I was, yeah. I mean, playing with the Broncos first season, you know, had a had a good share of, of, of slow pour and uh, it was so good. And especially, uh, you know, when the the bar that it was on tap at knew how to, you know, pour it correctly, yeah. especially, you know, keep it true to its name. And you just had like such a nice, like beautiful head on that beer that, you know, would, would just stay there and. It was just always good to the last sip. Yeah, it would have been. I, I kind of kicking myself for not going out to their spot while I was there, but I had plenty of of, of their beer. And yeah, it is a good beer. Do you guys ever mess around with the uh, the side tap faucets? Yeah, we have two on right now, and so they're both alternating depending on. We try and have have a new logger on at all times. So right now it's the the fest beer october fest beer but we're almost out of that so we'll have a, a double hellas on there next but yeah we we do that and we do the you know traditional pours and 
on those more nuanced loggers that we we give eight to 12 weeks on and and all of that you definitely you know the benefit of that that side pour is really noticeable yeah um, what does it bring to the beer you know it, it just opens it up more it, it pulls out some of that carbonation into a nice you know healthy head and and makes it you know really drinkable refreshing and uh, i i just find that the whole experience is beneficial i mean to be able to you know like anything you know any slow movement where like the dedication to get that perfect beer you know that it was poured with intention and that intention comes through to pour that beer how it was brewed to taste and so we're, we're really big proponents pretty much you know with, with staff or regulars it's just right now it's just what do you have on side pour i'll take one of those yeah it's, it adds to the romanticism, man. The yeah. lagers are a romantic beer. They are. Yeah. They are. So, you know, every it's got a special heart inside the craft beer, you know, drinker. You know, because like I said, I made it clear that I'm a I'm an IPA guy, uh, yeah. first and foremost. But there's a special place inside for, for a lager and a good lager, too. Because, like you said, I mean, it doesn't take a lot to make a lager bad. Like, yeah. or just average. You know, you can just right. drink out an average. Like, when I brew a lager, I, you know, in my little home brewery people will like it but to me it's just it tastes so average that i can never get into it like i didn't do something quite right and it just doesn't have that depth that it's supposed to have and you know it takes drinking a really good lager to to realize what a good lager should be it's what it's just tough to put your finger on so i appreciate yeah. you r running us through you know what yeah. it should be uh you know you know contained profile wise in, in a lager Preston, man, I appreciate you coming on, man. What's the, what is the best way for people to follow along with what you guys are doing at Red House? Yeah, we're, we're pretty good at Instagram when we have new beer releases or new events. Um, we post it to Instagram. I assume that's also true with Facebook, but I'm, I'm kind of out of it on social media. But I know Instagram is always kept up. You get to meet our team. We try and use them regularly and uh, you get to see the bartenders, the brewers, seller people, everyone. So it's a really cool way to, to be part of the family. Uh, I know we have a lot of people who lived here for four years and then left and, and they like to see kind of everyone's faces and the beers we're making. So nice. Uh, yeah. Instagram's a great avenue for that. Yeah, that's where I'm. That's where I'm able to see most of your guys' latest. Videos. I always like watching. You guys have great can art too. Go check them out on Instagram just to see their very beautiful can art. It's uh, again, I'm going to use the word romantic. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's great. It's beautiful art. I love it. It uh, it makes the beer experience even better. You know, because you yeah. taste with your eyes first. You know, at least out of a can. But Preston, man, thanks for coming on. Hey, if you guys have a uh, really long layover in Sky Harbor, uh, just get an Uber over to Ren House. It's not that far away. Get yourself a beer, and. Uh, Tell them that uh, the Velbeer show sent you and uh, they'll give you like an Air 5 or something. I don't know. Just <laughs> one of these. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was great to see you again and talk to you. And uh, I look forward to uh, everything that you've got going on. So keep us I, in the loop. I appreciate it, man. Will do.